Well, we come back this morning to Hebrews, and specifically to chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And let me begin by stating the obvious, I trust, and that is that there is no one better than Jesus Christ. There is no one better than the Lord Jesus Christ. Napoleon Bonaparte was the one who said this, and I quote, I die before my time, and my body shall be given back to the earth and devoured by worms. What an abysmal guilt between my deep miseries and the eternal kingdom of Christ. I marvel that whereas the ambitious dreams of myself and of Alexander and of Caesar should vanish into thin air, a Judean peasant should be able to stretch out his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and nations. End of quote. There is no one better than the Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn in your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to Hebrews chapter 3. I realize some will turn on devices. That's also great. Turn to Hebrews 3, verse 6. And I want to read our passage for this morning with you. Hear the word of God. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, may I interject? That's what we're going to do in these moments. We're going to consider Jesus. That's what we really ought to be doing every time we come for a Lord's Day worship gathering. Consider Jesus. That's what we should be doing in our private times in God's Word. Consider Jesus. That's what we should be doing in every life decision. Consider Jesus. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. The first readers of the epistle we name Hebrews were converted Jews. They were Jews who came to faith in Jesus Christ and believed him to be Lord and Savior, were saved the way we are saved even down to this day by exercising faith in his finished work. Most of us here this morning, I think, are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. If we happen to have a Jewish friend here, we're so pleased you're here. You're welcome. But as Gentiles, I think we don't really fully understand how highly revered Moses was to the nation of Israel and how highly revealed that Moses remains to be to Jewish people today. Moses was revered like George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Billy Graham ruled into one man. You say, what? Moses was the founder of the Jewish nation. Moses was the emancipator of the Jewish nation. And Moses was the moral conscience of the Jewish nation. The Jews who first read the epistle 
called Hebrews would have had a hard time imagining how anyone could be more important than Moses. Anyone could be a better deliverer than was Moses. Here in our Commonwealth of the Bahamas, we might say that Moses was revered like Lyndon Pendling, the founder of the nation, like William Wilberforce, the emancipator of the nation, and like pastors Ed Allen and Rex Major and Tom Roberts and Alan Lee, the moral conscience of the nation. You get the point that Moses was revered, but he wasn't just revered as Israel's founder, emancipator, and moral conscience. He also was known to be miraculously spared infanticide on a river in a baby basket boat. He was known to have been granted noble upbringing and education in the Egyptian royal family. Moses was also allowed conversation with God, no less, who appeared to him in a burning bush. He was divinely chosen to be the leader of the exodus out of Egypt, and he ministrated the plagues of God in the deliverance of four million person Jewish nation from Egyptian slavery. Moses stared down Pharaoh and won. He was the one at the point of the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. And he brought needed drinking water out of a rock. Oh, this was the Moses that the first readers of the book of Hebrews would have a hard time seeing how this Moses could be surpassed. Moses was also directly addressed by God face to face. No Old Testament prophet had that blessing. God handed Moses literally the Ten Commandments on stone. And not surprisingly, Moses got a supernaturally glowing face after the handoff. Moses was the nation's lawgiver. In their mind, everything in their law linked back to Moses, so they called the whole package the Law of Moses. The Israelites couldn't really imagine a better leader or a better deliverer than Moses. Moses was also the nation of Israel's best historian. God the Holy Spirit moved him to accurately write the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Could there possibly be a better deliverer than Moses. Moses also, perhaps surprisingly, was one of the most humble of all servants. He learned his humility well on the backside of the desert for 40 years. He went to the Arabian Desert University. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it encapsulates his humility when it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. If that wasn't enough to give him perceived superiority, Moses' hands were held up as he interceded in prayer for the nation as they battled the Amalekites. 
And his intercessory prayers more than once brought God's blessing to the nation of Israel. Exodus 24, 4 through 8 reports. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken to us, we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. It was undeniable to the witnesses when Moses' face glowed with a supernatural glow from having an encounter with the living God that Moses possessed and was imbued with a power from God. Before coming to Jesus Christ, the Jewish first readers of the book of Hebrews certainly viewed Moses as the greatest Jew of all time, even to them greater than the angels. So when we come to chapter 3 in the epistle called Hebrews, in verses 1 to 6, the Holy Spirit moved the human writer to make the case for Jesus Christ's superiority over Moses. And from all that I have just reviewed with you, that case had to be made strong. Because the jury's minds in some quarters were already made up that Moses was the most important, powerful, and influential Jew of all. Again, our verses. I'll hasten to say as I read these verses for a second time, I will be expositing the details of these six verses, Lord willing, in a future sermon. But for now, we're going to look, as we have been doing, at the historical background of these six verses. But hear them again. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Now let's step back from the verses and let's consider that the history behind where the readers were at when they read it, that the national feeling that Moses probably was the greatest Jew possible Let's step back from that with an aerial view a bit with the indwelling Holy Spirit's help and with the insight of all 66 books of Scripture. When we have that perspective, that aerial overview perspective, historically, the current time when the 
epistle was given and read, and now down to today. When we step back, get back in the helicopter, get over that, we can, without any doubt, pass the judgment that those Jews really overestimated Moses and they underestimated Jesus. You know, an underestimated Lord Jesus was a troubling problem. And an underestimating of the Lord Jesus continues to be a troubling contemporary problem, even in the believing church of Jesus Christ. Unless we start looking down our spiritual noses at the first readers of the book of Hebrews, that somehow they were so prone to underestimate Jesus and that's not anything we would ever do. Lest we get into that frame of mind, let's be real that it's easy for any of us, the men in the pulpit as well as all of you in the pews, at times to underestimate Jesus Christ. Sometimes we might say, it's an economic problem, it's not a spiritual problem. Or attending Lord's Day worship and giving to the Lord's offering is really optional. Or God will never give us more than we can handle. (laughs) He's given me more than I can handle, so I have to let him handle it. Or prayer meeting, it's inconvenient and a little uncomfortable for me. I don't like to pray out loud. I'll, I'll leave the intercessory prayer ministry of the church to, to someone. Or I need a counselor who doesn't bring Jesus into everything. Or You don't need to pray about that. (laughs) God helps those who help themselves. Or, really, my church life and my salvation, they're all about me. I mean, think of my salvation. I see that it's all about me because after all, I chose God. Or, my church really is also all about me as long as I'm getting something out of it, then I'll consider putting something in the offering bag and I'll consider exhaling participating in the life and ministry of the church. But if I don't get anything out of it, then maybe I won't put anything into it. It's easy to underestimate Jesus. Ray Kroc was the founder of McDonald's restaurants, a professing Christian. This is what Ray Kroc said. Sundays... It's number one, Jesus, number two, family, and number three, business. But come Monday through Saturday, it's number one, business, number two, family, and number three, Jesus. We can say, sure, sports and music and tutors will keep my kids from youth group. But church won't get my kid into a good college on a full scholarship. 
For some, the hymn isn't, I need thee every hour. It's, I need thee one hour a week when I can make it. You know, there was a time when the church used to be the excuse for missing everything else. Nowadays, everything else is the Christian's excuse for missing church. It's easy to underestimate the Lord Jesus Christ. Inseparably, imperceptibly, this underestimation of the Lord Jesus Christ sprouts up in churches like ours, creeps in, edges into, hijacks churches like ours, waters down sound churches even like ours. And I'm here to tell you something. That when we allow that to happen, we allow being yoked to the world instead of being yoked to the word made flesh, we sow the wind and we reap the whirlwind. We have so-called Christian colleges now that underestimate Christ by having an LGBTQ club on campus. We have so-called Christian mission boards now that underestimate Jesus by deciding that the cross is the problem and no longer the solution. We have so-called Christian churches that underestimate Christ by selling a gospel-less better life now using motivational talks given by high-maintenance and very well-paid Pastors. May this chronic, widespread, gaining traction tendency of underestimating our Lord and our Savior and our life not take any hold at Calvary Bible Church. And where necessary, may one by one we repent of discounting the lordship of Christ or denying the lordship of Christ. You say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm living under the lordship of Christ? Well, really, it's not a mystery. (laughs) It's really easy to diagnose. Let's do that together. You and I will know if we're living under the lordship of Jesus Christ or we aren't by considering this. Know and Lord. Know and Lord cannot coexist. Know and Lord are like oil and water. To say no is Jesus Christ not to be Lord. To say Jesus Christ is Lord is not to say no to him. And so it's simple. If there is something you knowingly are saying no to Jesus about, then he's not functioning as the Lord of your life. It's that simple. But if you are living with Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, then there's nothing you would say to him in the way of no when he presses upon your heart from the reading of God's word what he wants you to do. You know, if we had... 
more believers in our assembly living under the lordship of Christ, we'd have no shortage in the finances. We'd have no shortage of Christian workers in our ministries. And so I simply ask myself, is it no or is it Lord? And I invite you to ask yourself, no one else can answer this for you. Is it no or Lord? That'll affect your parenting. That'll affect your marriages. That'll affect your academics. That'll affect your job. That'll affect your retirements. That will affect everything. Because Jesus is Lord. 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 And so God help us. God guard us. God feed us with his word. God inflame us in love for Christ. God cause us to bow the knee to Jesus in all things. God give us urgency to spread the gospel. Give us discipline to study the word. And the choice to love Christ as first love. Oh, it's easy to look down our noses at the first readers of Hebrews who were converted Jews who were struggling how anyone could be more important or better than Moses. But let's not jump on that critical, judgmental attitude. And God, help us to see Jesus Christ as the most important of all in our lives, as the most important of all in our church in the most important of all in our life pursuits. He is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead and he is Lord and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the first persons to bow needs to be the body and the bride of Christ. Now in closing this message, it is impossible for you to overemphasize Jesus. It is just not possible for me to overemphasize Jesus. He can't be overemphasized. And so scripture tells us he's the alpha, he's the omega, and he's everything in between. He's the beginning and the end, and he's everything in between. He is Lord, he is risen, he is head of the church, he is the savior of the body. You can't overemphasize Jesus. In Colossians 1, 15 to 20, listen. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, that would be you and me, have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that, watch, he might come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. If anything on your list is higher than Jesus Christ, you've got to change your list. Family, retirement, investment, health. If anything is higher than Jesus on your list, 
change your list. John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by him, apart from him. Nothing came into being that's come into being. In him was life. You realize, (laughs) if you're saved, brother or sister, Christ is your life. He's not just your Savior, as wonderful as that is. He's not just your Lord, as wonderful as that is. He's your life. His resurrected life is meant to course through your personality, your uh, opportunities, your connections in life. Christ's life is to flow through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Could it be that people around us aren't seeing Jesus, because we're not living as though he's our life, and our old man or our old woman has crawled out of the grave having been co-crucified with Christ, and we're somehow trying to live our life in our flesh, our own resources, our own smarts, our own strength. That doesn't cast light on a dark world. But when Jesus Christ as life is expressed in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, then we reflect the light of Jesus. makes a difference. You can't overemphasize Jesus Christ. (laughs) Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Education won't save people and get them to heaven. Philanthropic effort will not save anybody and get them into heaven. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, it's impossible to overemphasize Jesus. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he, Christ, is the radiance of his, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, watch it now, having become as much better than the angels as he inherited a more excellent name than they. Oh, the first readers of Hebrews were baby Christians. Probably first generation Christians. After the resurrection of Jesus, they had turned to Christ, believed on him to be the fulfillment of the law. Yeshua, Messiah. But some of them were struggling or how Jesus fits in with Moses, how anybody could be more important than Moses. We struggle with other things. Could anybody be more important than my job? Could anybody be more important than my health? Could anyone be more important than my money? 
Could anyone be more important than my children or my grandchildren? Could anyone be more important than my mate? Those are our struggles. Will you stand with me, please? We're standing because we're ready to act when we stand. We're standing because we are showing reverence to Christ. We stand because shoulder to shoulder we're in this thing together. We're not in a solo sport of following Jesus Christ, but we're in it with brothers and sisters who are also purposing to follow Jesus first. A message like this is um, easy for us to put a little deflector on our head and say, oh, um, I don't want to pick a name of someone who might be here. That's for her. Oh, yeah, he really needs that. Let me just bounce it over to him. No, a message like that is for me as your pastor to respond to. God forbid that I would ever ask you to respond to the word of God, that I would not be prepared to respond to the word of God for my own life. And so we stand before God and we bow our heads in reverence. We close our eyes so we're not distracted, please. Heavenly Father, it's easy for us to let things slip up on top end of our list ahead of Jesus. To love him, but not as our first love. To serve other things and other people ahead of serving him. To put our trust in him, but not our full trust in him because we're going to trust ourselves. Lord, forgive us in the ways that we've underestimated the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so after this prayer, may we go forward without false guilt, cleansed, made new, refreshed, reoriented, committed to walking in the ways that honor Christ most. Lord, we believe that as our individual lives put him first, that our marriages will be fixed and that our church assemblies' challenges will be met. Lord, if there would be anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would see their need of him and would trust in him with all of their hearts and lean not on their own understandings, believing that he was crucified for their sins and raised from the dead to show the sins are paid for, that they would walk away from the life of self, the life of Satan, to walk into the joy of the life of the Savior. Lord, you are doing a work in the man in the pulpit and you are doing a work in my brothers and sisters in the pews. Get all the glory. Get all the credit. You are Lord. You are Lord. You are risen from the dead and you are Lord. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord, Jesus. May the knees that first bow be the knees of the body and bride of Christ. 
For we ask this for your name's sake and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.